What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the We Know Baseball podcast, part of the We Know Ball group, plan, company, whatever you want to call it. We Know Ball Sports, and more specifically today, We Know Baseball, episode 40. We got a pretty good one for you today, August 23rd, 2023. We're ready to go. We're dialed in. And we already know who's going to win the World Series. Uh, Yep, that's right. We already know. It's obvious. It's in plain sight. Everybody knows it. Everybody will probably agree with me to an extent, but nobody wants to actually admit it because, oh, these, the playoffs and anything can happen and you don't know. No, 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 no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. It's over. Like, over 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 way over and we'll get into that we'll go over the standings and we'll talk about exactly what's going to unfold what's going to happen the storylines uh in the world of baseball and uh ultimately discuss what's going to happen with the playoffs what's going to happen with these teams and how and why the top three teams in Major League Baseball are going to miss the playoffs and payroll, I should say. Top three payroll teams. But as we always do and as we always like to do, we're going to go into the MLB standings. We're going to give our... We're just going to read them off as we always like to at the beginning of every episode. American League, the National League, East to West. The Orioles lead the American League East by two games, 77 and 48. They're outplaying their run differential. We talked about that previously. Is that going to continue? Is that going to maintain the rest of the year? And are the on are the Orioles going to make a deep run into the postseason? I don't know. But again, as we've said throughout the season so far, I'm I'm leaning towards not a very deep run for the Orioles. That doesn't mean they're not a good team. That doesn't mean they don't have the ability to. But just based on lack of starting pitching depth, lack of veteran leadership. And it's not a dig on anybody or any part of that team. They're just young, they're inexperienced, and they're outplaying their run differential by seven games at the moment. So ultimately, they're not, they're overperforming. Now, I don't know exactly what the indicators would be that have led to them outperforming their expected win loss by seven games. Could be some luck, could be some timely hitting, a lot of obviously close one run victories, things of that nature. But when you even go down to their own division and you look at a team like Toronto, who, yes, is seven and a half behind the Orioles record wise. I if I'm picking a team to make a deeper run in the postseason, Baltimore, Toronto, it's kind of a toss up there. Now, at seven and a half, eight game separation, the answer for a lot of people would be the Orioles. Not for me. I think the Blue Jays are pretty legitimate. We skipped over Tampa Bay in terms of record because they are two games behind Baltimore. We mentioned Toronto, seven and a half back of the Baltimore Orioles. And then the Red Sox, 66 and 60. And the Yankees, 60 and 65. 17 back of the Baltimore Orioles. We will get into that. In the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins have started to create a smidgen of separation. 65 and 62, three games over 500. 
realistically expecting them to come out on top in that division. Uh, everybody in that division is completely worthless. Everybody. Uh, like, everybody. Except for the Twins, who are okay, but the Twins are going to get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. That is almost a guarantee. In the American League West, Texas Rangers half-game lead over the Houston Astros. 72 and 56 Astros are 72 and oh, I'm sorry Rangers are 72 72 wins 54 losses Houston has 72 wins tied with the Rangers but they have 55 losses so they have one greater loss than the Rangers do putting them a half game behind the Rangers uh, the Seattle Mariners are one and a half games behind the Rangers the Mariners are 71 and 56 they are eight and two in their last 10. They have won, I think they're like 17 and four in their last 21. Something ridiculous. They are on fire. Fire. And it it I honestly didn't see it coming. I pronounced them dead earlier this year. I I will be the first one to tell you I was wrong about the Seattle Mariners. Earlier this season, I picked them to miss the playoffs. I pronounced them dead, like out of the playoffs. And I don't really know how you could blame me just because they just hovered and sort of floated around 500, bounced under it, won a game over it. They never showed me the life that they're showing right now. And the Mariners went from dead, pronounced dead by me, to now people are saying who are the ones that could threaten the Astros and Rangers in the American League? How about the Mariners? And I am starting to agree with that. Only because now they've showed life. They've showed us a side of them that we did not know existed. They got young starting pitching. All of them are controllable. All of them are throwing 100 freaking miles an hour. Julio Rodriguez, who just struggled so bad to start the year, turned into a real-life cheat code could not and continues to not stop smashing the ball everywhere he goes in every single at-bat. He had like eight straight at-bats with a base hit. He had like 12 or 13 straight games with an extra base hit. His batting average jumped like 27 or 30 points in a week. Like it, it's crazy what has gone on in Seattle, but ultimately they are the telltale sign of what it does take to make a deep run in the postseason. Ask anybody that's ever watched or played the game of baseball, especially into the postseason and beyond, and ask them what the key components are to making a deep postseason run. And what they will say, what they will describe as the key components are all of the exact same things that the Seattle Mariners have just magically started doing in the last two and a half, three weeks. And I don't mean magically in terms of they weren't capable of it because they were. They just hadn't done it all year. And now we look at the Mariners. Their starting pitching has been nothing but dominant over the last two weeks. Uh, extremely clutch hitting. Contributions one through nine. Bullpen. Lights out. That's it. That's all you need in the playoffs. That is all you need. Now, if you're getting even deeper contributions, you're getting slug. You're getting home runs. That's just That's just icing on the cake. But the Mariners are showing everybody that they are not to be taken lightly. 
and they could very easily battle with Houston and Texas throughout the end of the year and not win the division, come in third in that division. And people go, well, the Rangers and then the Astros and then you got Baltimore in the East and Tampa Bay. And then we look up in the World Series and it's the Seattle Mariners representing the AL. Very easy could happen. I almost would make them as my pick at this point if they maintain this high level of play. I would. I would. I think the Mariners are legit. Um, their, their, their pitching is, is unbelievable. And they have all these, like, they have all this, um, like, vertical uh, angle, vertical approach angle for starting pitching or just pitching in general. Um, team pitching. And, yeah, we'll just go by ERA. Hmm. Who could that be? Hmm. Well, the Blue Jays are one. Just talked about them against the Baltimore Orioles in depth and potential deep postseason run in the American League East. Number one, Team RA, Blue Jays. Number two, Mariners. There you go. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Uh, moving on down the standings here. Yeah, we talked about Seattle. Uh, the Angels are 61 and 65. Um, 11 games out, out of the gonna miss the playoffs. So Tawny's gone. And they tried. I mean, they at least they tried, you know, but they don't have they they don't they don't have that kind of juice. They just don't have it. Um, Oakland is 36 and 90. NL East, the Braves are 81 and 44. The Braves are 81 and 44, plus 207 on the run differential. Um, they have a 12 and a half game lead over the Philadelphia Phillies, who are 69 and 57. Phillies are playing some good ball. Pretty good ball, man. They've been playing a lot better as of late. They've been playing a lot more inspired baseball as of late. And uh, I just want to take a moment to quickly tip my cap to Philadelphia sports fans. A lot of people that don't live in Philadelphia and don't root for those teams have this idea about the Philadelphia fan bases of the Eagles and the 76ers and the Phillies and the Flyers. And man, they're just so, so such a tough market. It's so hard to play. It's so hard to get. No, I think people are misunderstanding the Philadelphia fans and maybe a lot of the East coast fans. Cause I think there's a difference between being hard or being harsh and unreasonable or having high expectations and expecting high caliber, uh, highly compensated athletes on their teams to perform well. The difference is with the Phillies and the Phillies fans is that they know last year was a little bit of a fluke in terms of making it all the way to the World Series. They were a good team, but there were some teams that were definitely better than them. And then the playoffs came around and the Phillies got absolutely on fire. And uh, they were kind of playing with house money as they got to the World Series. And good for them. But then they got better this year. They added Trey Turner. Uh, they get Bryce Harper back later in the year. They struggled early on. But they knew ultimately that Trey Turner was a good player and they knew that this team has the juice and they as fans could provide the magic for a team like the Phillies to go on a nice little run and start to become relevant in the playoff picture. And what do they do instead of booing Trey Turner, instead of dogging him, instead of 
putting signs out there in the stands like get rid of this guy or calling into the sports talk stations let's get rid of him no 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 no. none of that happened and they did what i believe to be maybe the best thing the philly fans could have done out of all the options they had this year and that was to get behind their guys go all in on trey turner because he ain't going anywhere after signing a 10-year deal and they said you know what we're gonna have this guy for a decade not gonna do us as the fans or the organization any good to watch this guy melt down and fall apart and wildly underperform so what do they do they get behind their guy they give him standing ovation after standing ovation every time he comes up to the plate over the span of you know two or three gay two or three day stretch and since they've done that 10 12 two weeks ago 10 days ago whatever it was since they've given trey turner and shown him that support he has been a completely different player and the phillies because of a trey turner's contributions and b the fan support the phillies as a team have been completely different they've got the juice again clutch hitting trey turner's been good schwarber's starting to hit the ball a lot better i'm just saying man the philly fans if the phillies go on to make a deep playoff run and or end up winning the world series i'd argue that the philadelphia phillies fans would have almost as much to do with the team's success as the actual players themselves that's how significant their contribution has been to their team so far this year so for anybody that says this is what i'll say on top of that for anybody that says being a sports fan or going to the game or being committed or being dedicated to your team or cheering loudly or supporting or not or sounding off or contributing it's for anybody that says being a dedicated fan or being a committed fan or spending lots of time watching your favorite team, rooting for your favorite team, calling them out when they do poorly or cheering them on when they do well. For anybody that says that stuff is stupid, it's a waste of time, it doesn't affect the team, I never want to hear that again, especially after what's happened in Philadelphia with both Trey Turner individually and the Phillies as a team in 2023. Because Trey Turner, for the first four months of the year, forgot how to play baseball i mean he literally was just an absolute black hole worthless for that team at one point they had him a 10-year contract guy averaging 30 million a year hitting seventh in that lineup and honestly the only reason he wasn't eighth or ninth is just because he is trey turner and the Philadelphia Phillies fans came out in groves and decided we're not going to dog our guy. We're not going to dog the organization. We know this guy's capable of being a great player. He just needs to know that we have his back. Just like a player needs to know a manager has his back on maybe a questionable call or something like that. Or they need to know that their teammates have their back when, you know, somebody throws at them or slides dirty into the, into second base or something. The fans showed Trey Turner they have his back. They're prepared to support him over the next decade. And they want him to be good. And wouldn't you know, the Phillies got hot and Trey Turner got on fire. It's not a coincidence, man. It's not a coincidence. The Phillies fans 
brought the juice just like last year. They brought the juice with the Philadelphia Eagles just like last year. They brought the juice with the 76ers. And all these teams, man, make deep postseason runs, deep, deep postseason runs. You can sit back and criticize the Philadelphia fans and the Philadelphia fan base. Oh, they're too, too, too harsh. They're too diehard. They're ruthless. Well, that sounds like a lot of different ways to say they have high expectations and they demand excellence of their professional athletes who get compensated pretty generously. If you ask a lot of them. They have faith in their guys. They stick behind them. They expect a lot out of them. And when they see a guy not giving it everything or they see a guy underperforming and there's no effort, there's no adjustment, there's no reason for that. They don't see any life out of that guy. That's when they start to turn on them pretty significantly. With Trey Turner, it was apparent that his struggles were affecting him greatly. It was very obvious that Trey Turner just seemed lost and just like could not get himself out of this rut and he was trying everything he could he was making swing adjustments he the lineup was changed with him you know the manager was writing him out in all different spots in the lineup and nothing worked and that missing piece of the puzzle that missing link that final course of action that he needed was that push from behind from the philadelphia fan base and they gave him that push, and he jumped right out of that little rut, and the rest is history. So look out for the Phillies this year just because they have that thing that a lot of teams don't have, which is just kind of that that little, that little like pixie dust, that kind of flutter of energy. A lot of places don't have that, man. A lot of places don't have that. Marlins are 65 and 62. 17 games back. They're fighting for a wild card spot. Um, do I think they get in the postseason? Um, no, I don't, but that's okay. I fully expect the Marlins to be relevant in the coming years, pick up some more hitters, do whatever. Um, they don't quite have that this year, but they'll get there. Mets are 59 and 68. Their season's over. Uh, Nationals are 58 and 68. Uh, only a half game below the New York Mets, which is crazy. National League Central, Milwaukee Brewers, 70 and 57. They're a good, pretty solid ball club. Pretty solid. I mean, they could pitch it. And uh, their hitting's been okay. A little bit of an alarming figure for me would be the plus 10 run differential and the expected win loss of 65 and 62. So to be outplaying again, outplaying your expected win loss by five games kind of gives me a little bit of warning signals, but they can pitch it and pitching ultimately is what leads you to success. Um, in second place in the NL Central, Chicago Cubs, 66 and 60. Do you guys remember that I mentioned it earlier with the with the Phillies? Do you guys remember back in 2014, 15, 16 with the Cubs and Wrigley Field? The Cubs were building towards what was ending up 
being their first world championship in 108 years. Like 2015, they like missed the playoffs. Or I mean, uh, 2015, they made the playoffs uh, and they didn't end up winning at all. They came back next year and did. But like that like little buildup to your time period with that team, there was like just something special in the air on the north side of Chicago at Wrigley Field, Waveland, Sheffield. Something special, something weird going on. And it's just Wrigley, when the Cubs are good, Wrigley's got that little pixie dust magic floating around in that building, man. And you watch how some how the Cubs are winning some games this year and how they're wildly not only overperforming maybe in a, a couple of different spots, but like the whole team has collectively come together as a unit and just played as a team. They're also th playing three games below what their expected win losses. So they could be at a little bit of a better record, but 66 and 60 for a team like the Cubs who took a chance on a handful of guys on one year deals um, a lot of question marks about that team coming into the year and they find themselves getting like MVP caliber production from Bellinger again. I just, I don't know about the Cubs, but I think they're going to get into the playoffs and everybody knows as soon as you get in there, you never know what's going to happen. The Cubs for me are lacking a little bit of that pitching depth. That's necessary to make a deep postseason run. Uh, but they also, like I said, kind of have that magic pixie dust. That's going to potentially and ultimately lead them to the promised land. So uh, the Reds are 65 and 61. And they're four and a half games back. They're fighting for a postseason spot. Similar situation to the Marlins. The Reds have a good team. They have a lot of young, controllable talent. They don't have the pitching. And if they get in the postseason, they'll get bounced, I think, relatively early. And that's OK, because they're still ahead of schedule. So good for them. Pirates 57 and 70. Uh, St. Louis is 56 and 72. Yikes. National League West Dodgers is 76 and 48. They are plus 138 in the run differential. They're 11 and a half games above the Diamondbacks. Uh, they never lose baseball games just ever. And they will be playing deep into October this year once again. Arizona Diamondbacks, 66 and 61, would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. Giants are 65 and 61, right behind the Diamondbacks, battling for a playoff spot. Padres are 60 and 67. Seven games under 500. Um, they have a plus 58 run differential. And their expected win loss is 70 and 57. So based on their run differential, their expected win loss is 10 games better than where they are right now. 10 games better. The Rockies are 48 and 77. They stink. So. Going through a little bit of the action here. You got a few things going on in the game of baseball. Number one, sort of been a developing story throughout the year. And 
it's not something we love to see, but it's something that needs to be considered in not just the remainder of this year, but for the future of baseball, if I'm being honest. Uh, the Angels tried to, to get a competent group of guys around Shohei Otani. Did not end up working out. The Angels are going to miss the postseason. Uh, exactly like I said, they're going to—they're not going to trade Otani. They're going to try to trade for a few guys. They're going to hover around 500, and then ultimately going to fall out of the playoff picture. And they're going to miss—they're going to miss the playoffs. And then Otani will sign with the Dodgers. It's exactly what's going to happen. It's exactly what is what has been happening. Um, but one of the main storylines is Otani and like the whole pitching thing, especially towards the back end of this season or after the all-star break, he hasn't really pitched as much. And I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. I think he's pitched himself too much a little bit. I think he needs to slow down a little bit. I think he's doing too many things. I think he needs to take it easy. I think he needs to take the pitching stuff either lightly or off for the rest of the year. If I was Shohei Otani coming towards the end of August on a team that is not going to make the playoffs, thinking selfishly about the 600, 700, 800 million dollar contract that's potentially lined up for me this offseason, I'm probably going to stop trying to max myself out on all facets and pitch and hit and do both in the same game and dh the game after i pit like if i'm otani i know that there's value with me as a pitcher on the mound unquestionably with all the defensive you know or all the pitching metrics and all the stuff i have right i know i have value as a pitcher i know i have I believe more value as a contributor on offense with the home runs, the slugging, the stolen bases, and all those other things considered. So if I was him, I would politely and in the most respectful way possible approach the organization or approach Phil Nevin and just be like, listen, I am making a decision that's in my best interest. And that decision is I don't really want to pitch the rest of the year to save my arm, to save my future and maintain my value at its peak level so that I don't get hurt again. Uh, I don't pitch poorly, right. And lower my value, things of that nature, uh, because all Otani's going to do to himself if he keeps pitching at, any point the rest of the year is he's going to be hurting his overall value. He got pulled from a start. He got pulled from a, a couple starts ago. He's got some blister stuff going on. He's got elbow fatigue. He already took some time off from pitching this year. Like, dude, just stop enough. Just for what to help the angels. What finish instead of 12 games under 500, you pitch for them. And then they finish nine games under like, it's stupid, man. It's dumb for him to be doing this. And I hope he's getting the right guidance from his agent or his family or whatever. Because ultimately, man, it's not a good decision for him to keep pitching the rest of the year. It's not. I don't like it. I don't like it for him. He'll be fine. 
He'll be fine. But I don't like it. We talked about uh, briefly the Atlanta Braves, right? Um, today's August 23rd, 2023. The Braves, man. We'll talk about them and then we'll dive into why those other teams suck. And we've already talked about it for so many, talked about it for a ton of things, but I just wanted to touch on a couple things specifically. Okay. The Braves right now have a team OPS of 843. That is good for the best in Major League Baseball. The Braves have the most runs scored in Major League Baseball. The Braves have the most home runs, I believe. For some reason, this just isn't loading. Um, yep, the most home runs. So yeah, l let me run through the Braves stat line again. Um, as a team, the Braves have the highest team OPS. They have the most home runs. They have the most RBIs. They have the most runs scored. Uh, they are second in hits. They are 13th in doubles, which is odd. And I wanted to see this too. They're batting average with runners in scoring position. Team splits. Uh, let's see. Batting average, Tampa Bay, da, 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 OPS. Okay. So let's see. Okay. There it is. That's all I was looking for. I was looking for team stats with 100 scoring position. Okay. So to recap, in 2023, the Braves have the most home runs, the most runs scored, the most RBIs. Um, they have the highest OPS, second highest OPS with runners in scoring position. They have the most homers with runners in scoring position. So to summarize, the Braves absolutely hammer the baseball. They hammer the baseball. They are... Gosh, man, my freaking internet... Run scored. Run scored. Come on. Flip it. Okay. So. Twenty two seven hundred twenty two runs scored for the Braves this year. Two hundred thirty nine home runs for the Braves this year. The next closest team is the Dodgers with one hundred and ninety five home runs. So the Dodgers could hit as a team 40 home runs and the Braves could go homerless and the Braves would still have more homers uh, than the Dodgers. Let's go to team ERA. 
Emil Ray. Oh, and the Atlanta Braves have the sixth best team ERA in all of baseball. It's August 23rd, 2023. And if I had the opportunity to place a wager and my two options on each side were the Braves to win the World Series or any other team to win the World Series, I'm taking the Braves. And I'd be prepared to tell you right now in 2023 that the Braves are world champions of baseball. World champions. Give me a wager and give me two options. Option one is Braves won the World Series. Option two is any other team. I'm taking option one and picking the Braves to win it all over anybody else. The Braves are absolutely relentless. Their offensive approach is historically great. There's no specific pitch type or location that they don't absolutely cover. Not just one guy here and there, but as an entire offensive unit, they have seven all-stars in their, in their nine batters, not to mention the guys that aren't all-stars are playing like all-stars and they have the number six team RA, which is far and away good enough to stroll through the playoffs scoring six seven eight ten runs a game and get handed another world series championship which by the way would be two of the last three the braves as an organization are approaching dynasty territory that's how lethal this organization is at trading for drafting developing and signing young impact talent i've never seen anything like the atlanta braves in 2023 every single batter in their lineup is just doing nothing but damage every single guy one through nine Acuna, MVP. Batting second, Ozzie Albies, All-Star. Batting third, Matt Olson, potential MVP. If it wasn't for, oh, that's right, his teammate who's going to beat him out. They're going to have 1-2 in MVP voting this year in the National League. Batting fourth, Austin Riley, All-Star. Batting fifth, Sean Murphy, All-Star. Batting sixth, Marcelo Zuna, all-star batting seventh orlando arcia all-star batting eighth michael harris rookie of the year probably going to be an all-star half a dozen times in the next decade the braves are crazy crazy i have never ever 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 seen anything like the atlanta braves on offense this year i've watched a couple of their games it's like, it's not just them and what they do when the ball drops or goes over the fence, like for hits and extra base hits and homers. Even when they get out, they're still pissing on the ball. I watched a game a week ago against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they had an inning where they literally went double line drive in the gap, diving play by the outfielder, homer, 
line drive right to the shortstop and line drive right at the center fielder. I was like, do these guys do anything but hit rockets on the screws? It is unbelievable. And all those at-bats and all those outcomes with the homers and doubles and lineups, it's like slider away, fastball in, change up down, cutter up. and They're just all over everything. They're all over everything. They don't miss anything. If the Braves go down at any point in the game, especially coming into the postseason, down like 2 nothing after one inning, it'll be 4-2 to two the next time they go out for defense. That's just what it is. They are, as Thanos says, inevitable. Oh, 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 oh. Here's the best part. How many of those guys that I listed in their lineup do they have control over over the next, I don't know, let's say five years? Five more years. Which guys are going to still be on their team? Well, let's see. You got Acuna locked up long-term, Albies locked up long-term, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Sean Murphy, Michael Harris. Oh, oh wait, that's seven out of their nine. And I, I would pretty much guarantee that whoever they do end up losing over the next five years, they'll just find someone else, bring him in, and he will do nothing but destroy the baseball. The Braves are crazy. And the Braves are world champs already. I mean, anybody in the major leagues besides maybe, maybe the Dodgers, maybe the Dodgers, possibly Astros, Rangers, but that's that's kind of even irrelevant. Besides maybe the Dodgers and most likely also including them in this argument. Anybody that's actually going out for the remainder of 2023 and like trying to win and like trying to get to the World Series, they're wasting their time. They are wasting their time. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. It's over in 2023. It is over. There's nobody has a chance. The Braves are relentless. They are inevitable. They don't stop hitting. They haven't stopped hitting. Every game, the Braves are up three to nothing after the first inning. Every game. It's crazy. I've never, ever seen anything like it. Albies leading off the game, rocket into the outfield. He's on first. If it's just a single, don't worry, he'll steal second. And if it's not a single, it's a double. Albies, line drive in the outfield. Matt Olson, three-run homer, three-nothing. Oh, it's not a homer. It's actually just hit off the wall. It's a two-run double. He's on second. Austin Riley hits a fly ball to the right field. Olsen tags up to third. And then Sean Murphy or Ozuna or or uh, Orlando Arcia or Darno. Like, any of those guys will come up after him and hit a sack fly. Three-nothing. Acuna comes up, single. Steals second. Albies, ground ball to second base. He's on third. Matt Olson, sack fly. Like, that's that happens. That's like the bare minimum expectation. Literally every first inning for the Atlanta Braves. 
Oh, but Acuna got out. Okay. Albies comes up. Solo homer. One nothing. Oh, uh, Acuna hit a rocket back up the middle. Line drive. Well, it's an out. Center fielder caught it. Albies comes up. Hits a missile right at the first baseman. Okay, two outs. Nobody on. Matt Olson. Homer. One nothing. Like, they just don't stop. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. And Frank the Tank said it right. And if you can't see it by now, then you never will. The Braves literally don't lose games. They just don't. It's crazy. Good for them. Good for the Braves. Doing it the right way. Acquiring the right talent. The right pieces. And just organizationally just demanding excellence from their guys. Having high expectations. Putting them in the right situations to succeed. And here we are. World champs of 2023. Good for the Braves. Good for them, man. Holy cow, they're crazy good. Crazy good. Last but not least, on the opposite end of the spectrum. Teams that stink. You're looking at teams like, uh, well, let's see here. OPS, I'm actually curious. OPS with RISP. Actually, let's do batting average with RISP. So. Wanted to play, uh, well, no, I'm not going to play the clip, but I just want to. The White Sox fire their GM and their president of baseball ops. Yankees fans are losing their minds, and the Yankees all of a sudden just magically call up two of their top prospects and throw them in the lineup immediately. The Mets trade Verlander, trade Scherzer, acquire a bunch of young, controllable talent. And the Angels trade for a bunch of guys at the deadline. Doesn't end up working out. What do all those teams have in common? My argument would be, if you're talking the Yankees specifically, Mets, White Sox, Angels to a degree, and a handful of other teams... You have a clip on the internet that gains a ton of traction and sheds a lot of light on the poor management and poor ownership of the White Sox by a guy who calls into a radio station, goes on a seven-minute long rant, gets a lot of traction, and shows people like, oh, wow, this guy is right. Holy cow. Birdo from Chicago, thanks for calling in, and you are right. The White Sox are run and managed worse than almost any other organization. And then you have people like the John Boy media team who were able to, to lock in the ability to talk to the Yankees manager face-to-face -face once a week. And every time they talk to him, they go straight after him with a large social media following, shedding light on the fact that the Yankees as an organization are underperforming for one reason or another. 
and they go straight to the source and gain a lot of social media traction. You got Frank the Tank with the Mets and the, the vocal New York Mets fan base airing out the ownership, airing out the GM. And what do they do? They make a drastic 180 degree flip. They sell off the rest of the guys that, that they could at the trade deadline and they make an entirely 180 degree organizational change. What do they all have in common? It's the power of the fans. It's the power of the internet. It's the power of being vocal. It's the power that we all have in today's society of being able to hold teams, executives, managers, and players way more accountable than in years past. We never had access to these guys on a daily basis. We didn't have access to the clubhouse in the 70s and 80s. And now come to find out that not only do the fans have a lot more to say about it, but we also have access and have created so many more metrics and numbers and pieces of data that you can use as good indicators to project or value a team's overall performance. And you use those metrics and the fans have access to it just as much as anybody else in today's world with the internet and the information we have and all those things considered the power of the fans, the access to the information, the new stats, the new metrics, all of a sudden the fans are starting to realize, wow, it's baseball and you can't just buy wins. There's a pitch clock. There's a pace of play speed durability, longevity, clubhouse leadership, and overall team chemistry is more important in today's game than ever, 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 ever before. You know who doesn't have youth and speed and energy and quick swings? And team-oriented at-bats? Well, teams like the Mets going into the year, who, oh, that's right, had the oldest roster in the major leagues. Or teams like the Yankees, who had the second oldest roster in the major leagues. Or teams like the Padres, who were counting on veteran leadership and contributions from Matt Carpenter, 37, and Nelson Cruz, 42. Then you go to the other end of the spectrum, at the top of the standings, metrics, leaderboard, whatever you want to call it, and you got teams like Baltimore, Dodgers, Rangers, Tampa Bay, Houston, Atlanta, all of which have youth, have homegrown talent, major clubhouse vibes, speed, depth, all the things that those high payroll teams never had at any point this year.
clubhouse vibes and leadership and those types of things are hard to quantify. It's hard to sit back and go, well, these guys just don't have it, you know, or like these guys look bored or these guys look unprepared or these guys look lackadaisical. And I also recognize that those things, those, um, you know, vibes or good energy or, or, you know, streaks or all that stuff that comes from winning games, right? But at the end of the day, you look at a team like the Yankees who rely on outside of Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, who can't move. Anthony Volpe, super young prospect without any, what appears to be any sort of analytical support for him once he came up to the major leagues. Threw him into the fire and said, go get him, champ. And then you find out from some anonymous sources, from former minor leaguers, like, yeah, you know, uh, when I was with the Yankees, as opposed to some other teams, the Yankees are way behind in terms of analytics and what they value as an organization compared to other teams. You also look at their roster. Yankees, Mets, Padres, Angels, Cardinals. You go, wow, there's not a ton of homegrown, drafted, developed, and high-rated prospect called up to Major League Team contributors on the roster. Everybody, everybody wrote off the Dodgers. Everybody. They lost Bellinger, they lost Turner, Trey, and Cor and uh, and Justin. And all they do is develop. Holding these teams that perform below the standard of excellence or below the expectations, holding those teams accountable is not only more important now than ever, but it's also much more possible in today's world than ever, ever before. I mean, you can literally just put together a Twitter thread based on some information you've collected, you know, some video examples, maybe some anecdotal evidence, maybe just some opinion-based stuff, put it out on the internet, and it could all of a sudden gain traction and shed light on a team or a situation or a metric or anything you want that can make a team or a player change what they're doing. It happened with the Yankees and they got their hand forced by the John Boy Media team saying, hey, Aaron Boone, why is everybody on the team either an old bag or a first-year prospect or Aaron Judge? Ah, well, I don't know. Well, you know, I don't know what we could do about that. John Boy teams, like, we, there's no energy. There's no youth. There's no motivation. There's nothing coming out of the organization. Yankees, okay, well, cool, we'll call up two prospects. 
Mets fans go, this team is wildly overpaid. We can't be paying two guys that are 39 and 40 years old, 40 million bucks a year to pitch for us and be average. And the Mets go, okay, we'll trade them both and get a bunch of prospects in return. The Angel fans go, dude, we can't just roll out this mediocre-ass team around Shohei Otani and hope that they get to the postseason. What do the Angels do? They trade for like seven guys at the deadline. Granted, it didn't work out, but you get the point. At the end of the day, man, us as fans, we have not only a responsibility, in my opinion, but we also have the opportunity in the age of the Internet, in the age of Twitter and in the age of information. We have the ability now more than ever to make and have a serious impact on a team's performance, not just in the micro for a, a single season like right now, but for the long term projectability and sustainability of success for any team i mean look at philadelphia man the philly fans came out and said man we got trey turner 10-year deal the guy's been struggling we know he could be a good player let's back this guy up let's show out to the ballpark let's give ourselves and our team the support that they need and the energy that they deserve uh and maybe it'll have an impact on the games wouldn't you know the Phillies are on fire Trey Turner's on fire and now the Phillies are poised to make another deep playoff run my message to you all would be as fans whatever team that may be stay loyal stay dedicated stay committed stay true to yourself don't jump into conclusions too quickly but hold these guys accountable call into your radio stations Get on Twitter, get involved, get act acclimated with the community of fans on social media. Do what the White Sox guy did. Call into the local radio station and come with a vengeance. Come prepared, ready to go, air these guys out, call them out where they need to be called out. Be the John Boy Media guys. Get access to the organization. Make an impact on the fan base and on your community. Call out where they need to be called out. And you have an opportunity to make a serious change. The White Sox fired their, their front office as a whole. The Yankees call up a bunch of young prospects. The Mets end up trading away the two guys that Mets fans did not like signing. You have an impact as a fan. Use it. Use your voice. Or at least support those who do use their voice properly. Amplify the voices that you feel are doing it the right way. You don't have to be the guy if you don't want to, but make sure you're paying attention and make sure you amplify those who are. Because it can lead to long-term organizational changes in approach. And it can be a people in a group like the John Boy Media team who hold the Yankees accountable more than anybody, publicly, privately, use their platforms in the right way. They don't go out and go, Joe Carlos stands a worthless bag of garbage. No, no, that's not the right way to do it. They go, well, clearly, clearly, Joe Carlos Stanton is having a hard time running. His contributions to the team typically as an expectation are to be a power hitter. And he hasn't done that very well recently. Not a piece of opinion, just straight facts. 
This team needs to be more youth oriented. This team needs to develop homegrown talent a little bit better, needs more energy, needs more enthusiasm. Asking those questions directly to the manager. And wouldn't you know it, the team calls up two young guys right away. And moving forward, the organization will probably have a different approach when it comes to roster construction. Just a fact. So use your voice, use your platforms, go for it, guys. Hold these guys accountable because they need to be held accountable. Otherwise, you find yourself in a situation like the Padres, where they spent a lot of money, the fan base as a whole was sort of maybe unprepared or just like caught up in the glitz and glamour of all the things that they were promised with this super uber talented roster, but they lacked the depth, they lacked, they lacked the analytical preparation that was necessary, and they lacked the leadership. And then as things start to spiral, they lacked any accountability until this point in the year where it's just too late. The Padres are done because they weren't held accountable for such a long time. Oh, they're bounced back. Oh, they'll come out of this. All the media world is like, they're just too talented to be this bad. Well, when you're not held accountable and you go through the motions for four months, you don't have the analytics or the depth to pull you out of these ruts. This is where you find yourself. The Padres who are going to miss the playoffs with the third highest payroll in baseball or the Yankees second highest payroll got to miss the playoffs or the Mets highest payroll out of the playoffs. The game of baseball is changing. And these organizations that used to go about it in the way of buying wins and buying players have started to recognize that that's not the way to long-term sustain success anymore. It's not the way this year, and it will not be the way moving forward. With a faster pace of play, better athletes on the field, higher velocity coming out of the pitcher's hand, and all the other metrics necessary, roster construction as a whole in baseball needs to change and buying wins spending the most money is not the key and main indicator for a team success clearly clearly so if you're a fan of one of those teams that spent a lot didn't end up winning a lot of games or you're a fan of a team that's been bad for a long time or doesn't seem to have a roadmap to at least plan for success sometime in the next three, four, five, seven, even 10 years. If there doesn't seem to be a path, call out the organization. Use your voice, use your platform, and demand change. And you may get it. Like you, like Birdo in Chicago calling out the White Sox who then ultimately fired their front office guys. So regardless, hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 40 of We Know Baseball podcast, baseball-only show, part of the We Know Ball Sports group. Appreciate you guys tuning in. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, greatly appreciate it. If you're watching the replay on YouTube, greatly appreciate it. If you haven't already, check us out on social media, Instagram and TikTok, at We Know Ball Sports. And my personal Instagram on Twitter is Ryan Knows Ball. Sorry, not Twitter. X. X. My bad. Either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. We got into it a little bit. We got a lot to cover. We had a lot to cover. We covered a lot. And we got about a month left of the season. 
or another way to put it is we got basically another two months until the Braves are crowned world champs. <laughs> so either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Yeah.